Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tectonic. My name is Mark Hurst. I'll be your host for the next hour here on WFMU Freeform Station of the Nation. Live from downtown Jersey City in that great state of New Jersey. Thanks for being here. And for my American listeners, happy Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Day. And for everybody else, thanks for listening in. It's a pleasure to be here always. A pleasure and a privilege to be part of this unique radio community. And I've got a great interview for you this evening. You know, one of the one of the nice things about WFMU is that people do things a little bit differently here. <laughs> if you haven't noticed. <laughs> If you've been listening for a while, you probably know this. There's a there's a different approach here at WFMU. I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I'm just in general, I'd say that uh, there tends to be an attitude of of doing things in an independent way, independent of what the expectations are from I don't know from people's conceptions of what most radio stations do or. The expectations, I guess, at other radio stations, expectations that underwriters, advertisers have of the station, they, they just don't apply here. People go their own way. And I really appreciate that about this radio station. And extending that, I'm always on the lookout for people in other fields that are trying to do something similar. They're trying to express themselves in a way that maybe bucks the system a little bit. It, 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 it confounds the expectations of the, of the mainstream. And I interviewed someone a few days ago. I'm going to play the interview with Ben Grosser, who's one of those people. And you'll, you'll hear in the interview, I'm just really excited about Ben's approach and the various projects that he has launched. He's an artist and he's a professor and uh, if you go to the playlist at WFMU.org, you can read a little bit more. There are links to the projects we're going to be talking about. But as you can see on the playlist, uh, Ben is an artist focused on the cultural, social, and political effects of software, which is a good fit for Tectonic, of course. But more than that, he's bringing a very independent approach, a very creative approach that is a little bit, I guess, if you think about it from the perspective of the d default, which is the big tech hegemony, his work is a little subversive, which I really appreciate. Uh, so you're going to hear, you're going to hear us talk about a few different projects from Ben. Uh, a couple of them have something to do with Mark Zuckerberg. And one of them is a very creative project that is Something, something that you can try yourself. It's a, it's, it's a service that you can sign up for. I don't want to give it away. It's a really fun interview. I hope you'll stick around. Ben's a cool guy, and he's got great ideas, and he's, he's launched some really fascinating projects. So we're going we're gonna to hear from him in a second. If you want to join in the live listener chat, 
go to WFMU.org, click Playlist and Comments, and you can join in. If you're listening to an archive or podcast version of this in the future, just go to tectonic.fm, T-E-C-H, tonic.fm, and find the January 15, 2024 show. Click the playlist link, and you'll see all the links, all the comments, some funny images. Well, I hope you find them funny. <laughs> some, some of my attempts at funny images. And, uh, and, uh, and, of course, you can listen again to the show if you like. Anyway, let's go ahead and listen to my interview with Ben Grosser here on Tectonic on WFMU. Ben Grosser, welcome to Tectonic. Hey, glad to be here. It's great to have you on the show. Ben, you are a professor at University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. You're a professor of new media. And you're also an artist, which is mostly what I want to talk to you about today. You write on your site that your art focuses on the cultural, social, and political effects of software, which is just perfectly topical with Tectonic. Your artworks have been featured in the New York Times, The New Yorker, Wired, The Atlantic, Washington Post, PBS, and a bunch more. So you've been doing this for a long time. And <laughs> I have to start with an apology. I can't believe I hadn't heard about your uh, work. I think I'd heard about it in passing, but I hadn't really delved in until you got in touch a little while ago when I read an excerpt of one of your pieces, which we'll get to. But anyway, really cool to have you on the show. And maybe we could start with the piece that I quoted. In fact, did a dramatic reading of. Back in October of 2023, venture capitalist Mark Andreessen wrote something called the Techno-Optimist Manifesto. And I was delighted to see that someone <laughs> made sense of the Silicon Valley VC nonsense that Andreessen was spewing. And you did something very clever. Can you talk about the redaction that you posted? Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, on the day that his that, that Mark released the Techno-Optimist Manifesto, part of what I noticed that I, I'm sure many others did too, but as someone who's been focused on not only the cultural effects of software, but also on the people who make the software that has these cultural effects, uh, the thing that I most noticed about it was its endless devotion to growth within the rhetoric of the piece. It asserts very openly it, a devotion to growth, a desire to think about humans and our time as infinite rather than finite, as the answer to everything. And, and what I recognize as someone who's focused on other figures in Silicon Valley over the years is that this is always their answer to every problem. Usually those problems are ones they've created uh, with the work that they make. But when you confront the leaders in Silicon Valley with, well, you've created this piece of software, this platform, or you've done this thing, and it's created these problems, what are we going to do about it? The answer is usually some form of the word more. Uh, we're going to grow, we're going to get bigger, we're going to do it more and more and more. And so what I did is I took that text that he wrote and I performed uh, what's commonly referred to as redaction poetry, covering up most of the text in order to reveal its essence and to create a new work. And I should say the the covering up, you literally did this. If people have ever seen, you know, FBI or CIA files that are made public, they have these these black strips that cover up most of the words, and then you see 
some of the words that are uncovered. And that's what it looks like. You actually posted a PDF. I will put the link on the playlist so that listeners can experience the redaction on their own. And what was left was your poetry, as you say. That's right. And so, I mean, I, I literally used the redaction uh, feature built into Adobe Acrobat, which is designed to obliterate certain amount, you know, text that um, often is thought to be, uh, say, revealing some information that shouldn't be revealed. If you do a FOIA request to, to the government, for example, they might send you a document with a bunch of things hidden. So I use this feature and what it reveals and what you ended up reading are, is, is the result, which is just the bits that focus on this essence of a, that growth is the answer to everything. And, you know, it's not even just that it's not just growth, I should say, because he also, as he asserts growth as the answer to the world's problems, he also names his enemies. Um, and his enemies include concepts such as sustainability or tech ethics or social responsibility or, um, I mean, things like this, right? And it's like he... It's true. And th th those are literally... <laughs> listed by yes. Andreessen as, does he use, does he actually use the word enemy? Yes. Oh, it's the, the section heading is enemy. And then he says, we have <laughs> enemies. They include um, social yeah. responsibility, tech ethics, um, existential risk. Uh, you know, these things are all get in the way of using growth to generate endless profit, which is really what his focus is. Now, I'm not going to do a dramatic reading again, but I just want to give a little normal reading of an excerpt of your redaction. This is Mark Andreessen's words as revealed and put together by you, Ben. Growth is progress, but lack of growth is a kill-all. Everything good is downstream of growth. Not growing is stagnation. Growth, growth, growth is technology. Growth, 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 more growth, more growth, 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 more growth, more technology. Be beyond being just sort of an interesting or a clever take on this widely read manifesto, you're exactly right, Ben. This is just very revealing. His words match exactly the kind of approach that we've seen from Silicon Valley, from the VCs and the big tech companies for years now. It's growth above all, growth at all costs. And as you say, just in case we didn't get the point, Mark then explicitly lists the enemies of Silicon Valley type growth. And it's all these generally uh, nice things. The idea that social responsibility is an enemy, I mean, in some ways, I, I appreciate the honesty. It's distinct from some of the other figures in Silicon Valley. If we look at someone Mike, like Mark Zuckerberg or Sam Altman, they don't tend to be so explicitly open about how they really think, as Mark Andreessen is comfortable with. Mark Zuckerberg will, for example, couch his actions, which are no different from the intentions and, and actions of Mark Andreessen in terms of what's produced, but he'll couch it within a frame of I'm trying to do the right thing and we are trying to do things that are good for the world when the opposite is, is obvious and true, but there's a rhetoric that it's all surrounded within. Um, so I, I appreciate that from Mark and, and so it created this opportunity that was 
frankly, quite quick for me to generate in terms of like, I saw it, I thought this is what I need to do with this. This is a tradition. It's not, you know, redaction poetry is not something I came up with. The strategy of erasure in order to reveal is, is an artistic strategy that goes back uh, as far as we can imagine, I expect. And um, it was it was useful and, and relevant in this case. Did you get a good reaction from it? Definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it sat on number one and on Hacker News for a while, the Silicon Valley kind of discussion site. It got referenced in, and quoted in various places and, and talked about. And I think it's because it, it encapsulates this thing that we feel, and um, which is the effects, the oppression of being stuck within a software-driven technological world that we can't get out of, that is more focused on growth than on humanity. Andreessen was famous a few years ago for saying that software will eat the world. And here we are a few years later, and turns out he was right in a way. His software has, has done a lot of eating. <laughs> right, right. It reminds me of, of more recent, you know, we, we hear this from OpenAI a lot and Sam Altman as well, that, well, everything about your world is changing now. Um, you just have to face reality and inevitability. And of course, the reality and the inevitability is one that they're you know, very specifically and intentionally producing and advancing the idea of being inevitable. And profiting from. <laughs> yeah. So quite. it's a self-serving, all these self-serving prophecies, you know, you're just going to have to get used to it while I add several more tens of billions of dollars to my net worth. But don't worry, there's there's nothing you can do about it. So... But but think of it, you can generate limericks on the fly, so that's kind of cool. Hey, you know that's that's really what the world was was missing, and so I'm just so glad that that problem has been solved along with so many others. You mentioned a few minutes ago Mark Zuckerberg as someone who at, at least tries to cover up his actions, his unethical actions with with nice sounding rhetoric. You have spent some time studying Mark Zuckerberg revealing his words to us in a different way. Back in 2019, you launched a project called Order of Magnitude, which you write is a massive supercut video of every time Mark Zuckerberg spoke about growth on camera <laughs> during the first 15 years of Facebook. Growth more has grown. To grow and grow, it's growing more data, I think. Do more. To grow more and more. Accelerate the growth of tens of billions. A lot of more more tools. More more tools. It grows. It grows even more profitable and grows even more. More more a million to get to a billion. Not a billion. This might be millions, a billion. And it goes on for over 45 minutes. It's amazing. How did you put together this supercut? I originally had the idea. I'd, at this point in 2019, I'd spent almost a decade focused on social media and Facebook as, as a primary subject as an artist often. I decided at this point that I wanted to take a step back and, and think about who makes software, that the software that we use every day and how it comes to be the way it is. Why does Facebook, the design of Facebook, get us to think about ourselves within quantitative terms? Why does it normalize? How does it normalize the idea that it makes sense to think about exactly how many friends we have or precisely the number of likes each thing we post might get? My first idea was I wanted to see how many times Mark 
talked about more. And so I thought, I'm going to look at everything, every video he's ever been in. I'm going to take out all the times he spoke about more. And I'm going to add it up. I eventually decided to include every time he said the word grow or growth and every time he uttered a metric such as 1 million or 2 billion. And, you know, when I had this idea, I thought, this is going to add up to a long supercut that nobody's going to want to watch. It's going to be so long. It's going to be five minutes or 10 minutes of Mark saying these few words. Nobody's going to want to watch that, but I wanted to watch it. And so I decided to just start collecting the data. And so I started assembling the archive, looking up, finding all the videos, starting to watch them all and extract these little tiny snippets of the word more or growth or numbers. And I got to 10 minutes and I got to 15 minutes and I got to 20 minutes and I wasn't anywhere near done. And it just kept going until it got to almost 50 minutes long of nothing but those few words. And I think the the scale of the outcome you know, reflects on the the overall idea of the project, which is that Mark's answer is always the same. It doesn't matter what the question is. The answer is more grow and numbers. That's how he thinks. It's what he does. And you know, this was true in the very beginning days when all he can do is talk about growth and more. And it's true after 2016 when all of the you know, outcomes of everything he's done contributes to the, the outcome of the 2016 election. Um, the answer is the same. He doesn't have any other answer. And that's what made me want to make the work. And so it was this incredibly laborious process because it's not only, uh, I mean, you could, you could potentially automate some of this extraction with AI tools um, if the data was in good shape, which it isn't. It goes back to video in 2004. But I also was really focused on kind of the rhythmics and the, you know, the, the, the rhythm of it, the sound of it, the feel of it, the pace. Um, and it's, I do reveal words that are adjacent to more and grow in numbers. So it's not only those words in isolation, there's bits of context that come along with it. Right. You're not simply providing us with a documentary record of all these words strung together. This is, this is an artwork. So anytime somebody has, I think it's 47 minutes and two seconds uh, that they need to fill up with something interesting they can watch, order of magnitude. But then a couple of years later, 2021, <laughs> you did something very different. In fact, you posted the opposite. This was an art project called Deficit of Less. So instead of order of magnitude about you know growth and more, this is a project called Deficit of Less. Tell us what you did there. So after having gone through order of magnitude and now we were at this point we were in the pandemic i was working on a upcoming exhibition at our bike gallery in london and i'd begun to ask a different question which instead of how much does mark talk about more i wondered does he ever talk about less and so i set about looking at that same 15-year video archive that i had used to mine for order of magnitude looking for and extracting any time he spoke about the concept of less. And, you know, my intuition, my recollection was that there's no way this is going to add up to 47 minutes. Of course, he doesn't talk about less as much as he talks about more. But even I was surprised by just how little 
it occurs in his rhetoric. Because when I extracted every time he talked about less and added it all up into a supercut, just like I'd done with the words more grow in numbers, it came out to less than 60 seconds long. And so, <laughs> and that's over the same time period, 15 you, years, 15 years, every video he ever appeared in hours and hours and hours and hours. And, <laughs> and so what I decided to do was instead of kind of just present it in a similar way to how I'd done with the order of magnitude, I decided to take that as raw material and use it to reanimate Mark into an alternate reality to expand his less so it would be exactly as long as his more and so i took that less than 60 seconds and made it and slowed it down so it would be 47 minutes and 15 seconds long <laughs> and the idea is to really think about what would how might the world be different if mark had thought about less even as much as he'd thought about more uh, where would we be as a, as, a, as a society, as a species, as a planet, if this devotion to growth had been counterbalanced in any way by thoughts about the finite rather than the infinite? That's right. And if you listen to Deficit of Less, it almost sounds like a drone. I found it difficult to listen to just because I was thinking, I am still listening to Zuck say one word. He's still saying it. I'm still listening to Zuck. I'm still listening to Zuck. <laughs> yes, this is, this is a problem that people have with these projects. Um, I always think of uh, Order of Magnitude in particular as a, as a film that people should really watch in groups. Because some people really see it almost like a horror film. <laughs> um, but I, and I think Deficit of Less is perhaps of most use in, in comparison and in, in tandem with, with Order of Magnitude. One thing that I really appreciate about your work, Ben, is that you don't simply get on mic and rant about the problems of the tech industry uh, like someone I know, which, which would be me. Um, you actually take action to create responses to what's happening in tech. And we've talked about the redaction of Mark Andreessen's manifesto that you posted. We talked about order of magnitude and deficit of less. But you've also created something that I just think is brilliant. There's so much to complain about in the world of social media. And I've done more than my share on this show of talking about the terrible behaviors and the the horrible outcomes of things like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and so on. But you made a response to this that was not simply a criticism, but an alternative. You created your own social network, and it's called Minus, and it embodies a lot of what you have been telling us about in your other projects. Can you tell us about Minus? Yeah, thanks. Um, and just to be clear, we, we need people to rant and rave on the radio about the problems of Silicon Valley too. So I don't want to discount um, critique, inform critique, but I see what I do is like maybe a different form of critique. 
which is, you know, in this case, the, the question I, I was really thinking about when I, I came up with Minus is what if a social network wasn't always growing or what if it limited your ability to use it or what if it tried to slow you down rather than speed you up? What if a social network wanted less instead of more? And so that's what led me to create Minus. And Minus is what I call a finite social network where users get 100 posts for life, where every time you add to the feed, it subtracts from your lifetime total. So what you see on the platform is, you know, it, in some ways it has a, a familiar feel. It's a, it's a vertical feed. There's a status kind of writing box at the top. But the submission button doesn't just say submit, it also has a number that tells you how many posts you have remaining. So when you start, it says 100 remaining. You post one thing, it says now you have 99 remaining. You keep going, it gets down to zero. And when you get to zero, that's it. You just can't post anymore. And part of what I'm thinking about here is that the designs of all the platforms we're used to using all day long, every day, produced by the people we've been discussing today, um, they are designed intentionally to get us to forget that our time and our lives are finite. They want us thinking that all of this opportunity, all of the time we spend on Instagram and Facebook and and TikTok is infinite. Because if we remember that it's finite, then maybe we aren't going to spend all of our time there. And so Minus is an opportunity to, to see how it might feel different to be on a social platform that isn't trying to always get you to focus on more and growth and numbers and instead foregrounds the idea that your opportunity here and everywhere is finite. And we're back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Tectonic on WFMU. My name is Mark Hurst. I'm your host. We are halfway through my interview with Ben Grosser, an artist who has launched several projects over the years, commenting on the state of social media and how it affects us, and has launched his own social network in response, which we're just in the middle of talking about in the interview. It's called Minus. If you want to link to Ben's site and his projects and Minus, which, by the way, Minus is at minus.social. But the links to all these services are on the playlist for tonight's show. Go to WFMU.org and click Playlist and Comments. And I'm also happy to announce that Ben Grosser himself is on the comment board. So jump on if you've got a burning question for Ben. And let's go ahead and listen to the second half of my interview with Ben Grosser here on Tectonic on WFMU. When we started the interview, you said that Mark Andreessen in his techno-optimist manifesto was selling the idea that everything in his world is infinite not just about growth, but infinite growth. It's going to go on forever. And indeed, many of the richest, wealthiest, most powerful people in Silicon Valley, and thus the world, have been showing a lot of interest in recent years in life extension technologies. Sometimes they just say it out loud. I want eternal life for myself. 
Even back in the days of the Roman emperors, wasn't it the case they would come back from conquering a new territory and in the victory parade, there'd be someone walking behind the emperor saying, remember, you will die. It was the memento mori. Remember, you will die. As you say, the promise of infinity is a lie. Everything is finite. This is just me reacting to what you're saying and my own reaction to, to signing up for Minus. It's a great reminder that this is all going to end at some point. There's no false premise at the very beginning that this is going to go on forever. No, this, this is going to end. And you just posted? Okay, now you're down to 99. Part of there, There's a lot of different ways that people react to that limit of 100 when they first get on the platform. First of all, a lot of them talk about it, right? It's so the, the contrast with our usual experience of social media is so palpable uh, that it is one of the, it's a, it's a common topic of discussion on, on the platform itself. What does it feel like? What does it mean? What are we going to do with this time? And some people approach it in different ways. Some people really think of it as a opportunity for some kind of a serialized reflection on life. Some people um, use it as creative uh, influence. So maybe they decide to write 100 poems over the course of some period of time. Some people come on and they say, okay, I've taken my life expectancy. I think I'm going to live for on average number 43 years. And so I'm going to divide that by 100 and I'll be back in, you know, 100 and something days or whatever it is. I'll post my next one. I'm going to do this over time. Already thinking or imagining that this social platform is going to last as long as they are, um, which right there already gets like reveals how we think about the these platforms that we live with on a regular basis. But, you know, other people are are so frozen by the idea of the finite that they don't even post at all. All of a sudden they feel a weight to you know, well, if I only have 100 opportunities, I need to be deliberate about what I'm going to do. And so I'm going to think about this. And then they might still exist in the comments, which aren't counted. You can reply as all that you want to other people's posts uh, without the counter, but they don't ever end up replying at all because it feels too weighty to ever say anything. And I think that talks about how it feels to be on 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 Facebook and Twitter and whatnot, where just because it feels like it's infinite, we feel no, no reason to be considerate about what we do or how we spend our time, um, or at least that's how we're encouraged. Of course, some people are considerate and do think about it, but um, it's that contrast. Of course, and surely there are good conversations on the social media services, but those are in, those are in spite of the design. You know, they they have the world's best trained and best paid psychologists at Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, fine-tuning the interface all the time to try to manipulate people to get a little more engagement, a little more growth, a little more time on app, a little more stickiness. And it's, it's not a fair fight, as people, other people have pointed out before me. So if, if there's anything useful or substantive that goes on on those sites, it's a marvel because it happened in spite of this overwhelming design on the part of the Silicon Valley companies to create a toxic sludge factory. Minus, I'm happy to say, I was unable to see any dark patterns at all, <laughs> of course, on Minus. You're telling people the truth, you're giving them a clean interface and setting them loose. And it, it is neat to see what people have posted. 
One of the things I love about one of my most favorite moments that has happened many times since I launched Minus is when a user whose name I recognize as having been there before shows up and posts something like, you know what, I forgot this place exists for a while and I just remembered today and I came back and it's still here. How's everybody doing? And the idea that a social platform is designed in a way that will let people forget about it, that's what I want. That's the opportunity I want people to have. And so those are moments of triumph for me as an artist where, you know, if if everybody forgets about it and nobody comes back, maybe that's the ultimate success here. Um, <laughs> they, they end up feeling like, you know, I'm just going to go spend my time having conversations with other humans. And this is not an anti-digital or an anti-online way of feeling. It is that we have let for the most part, we've let one human define the entire category of online sociality for the, for the world. The design that Mark Zuckerberg came up with, Twitter is very similar. These are all almost identical to each other. They all copy each other all the time. But uh, Mark, in, in his kind of relentless focus on the quantification of sociality through the interface, we have let them define the entire category. And there has been so little creativity, so little experimentation in the sector that from my perspective, social media is just getting started. We've barely even tried to do anything with it at all. And I don't put minus out there as an answer. I don't, I'm an artist. I don't tend to make answers. I tend to think about questions, but I do put it out there as, as a provocation for let's be more radical about what it means to be social online. Let's think about it differently. Let's try something else out. I like how you are looking at the values of Silicon Valley and you are reversing them and saying, let's try, let's try a social media site that does the opposite. And it turns out to be brilliant. The idea that you would build a social media platform that encourages people to forget about it for long periods of time. I mean, <laughs> it's laughable. And yet you make a, a persuasive point. Maybe that's the right way to do it. I mean, it's just thinking like this, Ben, and seeing, seeing you take the action to, to create these projects, is it's inspiring that there are people out there who are thinking about how to do things different. And typically, as I said before, I'm finding that the most inspiring, positive, encouraging projects are the ones that do exactly the opposite of what Silicon Valley does. Yeah, isn't that interesting that inverting their values is so productive for thinking in useful and interesting ways, uh, creative ways? The idea, the rhetoric that Silicon Valley is the creative origin of so much out of the United States is, is a line that we've been hearing for decades now and has been brought to us for decades. And of course, there, there are all kinds of interesting things that have come out of the technology that we can make use of these technologies. But the intersection of this, of capitalism's need for endless growth and big tech's need for endless data has produced a unified logic of one way of thinking. And I often, you know, as a Gen X person, I often think back to, yes, uh, for both of us here, I often think back to my first experiences of 
of online interaction, which for me were at first were, you know, modem based BBS, eventually was email and Usenet, um, blogs and comments, everything before Mark and, and the rest came along in 2004, 2005. This was not a perfect moment by any means. There were still inequality. There were still all kinds of problems. We, we like to idealize it. And idealization is something we should always be suspect of. But it wasn't 100% wrapped up in the endless growth profit curve that Silicon Valley is focused on now. It's these two combined that I think have perverted so much of our daily life that we get on Facebook or Twitter, X, whatever, TikTok, et cetera. And what we're presented with is not an interface or a platform designed to help us be in better connection or designed to help us be more informed, but it's designed to keep us on the platform, keep us looking, to keep us scrolling, to keep us giving data to them, because that's what generates the most profit. And so, you know, that set of values is, is one that has wrought so much destruction against society at this point from everything global democracy to human psychology. And so inverting, inverting those logics uh, turns out to be a useful guide. You mentioned Gen X. You and I are both proud Gen Xers. <laughs> and I mentioned in the intro that you're a professor at Urbana-Champaign, professor of new media. Your students, I would assume, are not Gen X, at least the vast majority of them. What is it like for you with your experiences, and mine were exactly the same, starting off with modems and BBSs, then email and Usenet, then the web. We have such a different perspective, I think, as Gen Xers who were here at the beginning from the younger generations who a few years into their lives were probably handed a, a, an iPhone or an iPad or something. What is it like teaching younger students from a different generation? What are you learning from them? What surprises you? And are you still hopeful for the future seeing the young people of today? Yeah, I think about this a lot. Um, I use and talk about social media in particular, but also just tech platforms in general as a subject and a regular focus and in my teaching and also as a as an opportunity for experimentation and like, let's not only take this platform for what it wants from us, let's analyze and figure out what it wants from us and let's give it something different. So often I'm activating groups of students into to looking at software as something we should be critical of. And what I find in, in that conversation is a lot of openness to it, honestly. I think there's been a, there's been a curve over the last 10 years of teaching or so where there was a moment i would say 10 years ago facebook and it's like were dominant but also new and it wasn't really talked about as kind of like having destroyed so much of society in in, in various ways um there was a real optimism you know there's there was a lack of concern over the implications of surveillance or the problems of um kind of sucking up all of our attention a lack of suspicion maybe amongst those students. But over time, that has grown. Uh, you know, students, while of course they're still embedded in these platforms, they do 
have more of a sense of suspicion and criticality that they bring to it in the first place. But part of what I enjoy doing with them as I think about it is asking questions that help them think about what are they intuiting from the platforms? What are they absorbing from the design of the platforms without thinking about it? And a, a classic example is this idea of the normalization of quantification of things on social platforms, providing information that has a high value. And that's that's something I question with them. So I, I pose a question to them, for example, where I, I ask them, how many of you, this is a question I often ask in the first days of a, of a new course, how many of you have ever posted something on Instagram? I'm working with artists and future artists. How many of you have posted something on Instagram? And then when it didn't get any or very many likes within the first 10 minutes or so, delete it from Instagram. Most hands will go up at this point. Sure, of course. Yeah, I've posted something on Instagram. It didn't get a high metric reaction. That means something is bad about it. So of course I take it down. I don't want to have a feed full of low like count content. And then I pose a question back, which is imagine any artist you admire from history who made work that broke new ground and think about what might have happened if that artist had used the first 10 minutes of reaction to that new groundbreaking work as the judge to decide, should I keep doing this or should I abandon it? And we would have nothing of what we most admire from most of our history, I expect, if that had been the guide. Good art, this is my way of seeing it, is work that most likely is going to challenge what people think of as art in the first place when it first comes along. There, there's so many examples in history. Uh, my, my original field is music composition. And I think about a piece like Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Literally caused riots. Riots. And he says, well, that was terrible. I'm never doing that again. And then, yeah. But I can imagine a Mark Zuckerberg coming up to him and saying, no, you've got it all wrong. Think of the engagement. People were rioting. <laughs> this is money, baby. Right. Now it is. Yes. It's an illuminating moment, right? It creates great conversation because we, the, the design of the interfaces have conditioned us to use the numbers as the primary guide for what to do and what not to do. And so we learn over time by the design of the interface to write content or to make photos or to post different kinds of media that get the best metric reaction. And what I, where I always want to start is let's think about, well, what if you, for example, I talked about experimentation with platforms. What if you instead tried to think of the kind of content that would get zero reaction? What would that piece be? What would that project be? And it's, I mean, I don't mean gets them angry, but just what, you know, like think through it. And that helps to show you what the platform wants from you. For your own projects, Ben, what is the best site or platform for people to see what you're working on and try out some of these things that we've talked about today? So my website at bengrosser.com is an index to most of my 
all of my large projects that people can play with and try out. I'm also on social media, um, you know, as much as anybody or and sadly, in some cases, more than some because I it's also my work, um, I feel like. So I am on various platforms, too, although I don't always post. Sometimes I'm just reading and watching and thinking about it. Sometimes I'm lost in them, too, like the rest of us, uh, perhaps more so than others even. Uh, but bengrosser.com will, will get you there. Well, Ben, this has been a great conversation. And as I said before, I really admire the action you've taken to put some things out there to get us to think and to give us a little bit of hope that technology could be better. I appreciate you being on the show today. Ben Grosser, hope you'll be back on the show sometime. Thanks, Mark. It was a pleasure. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Tectonic on WFMU. My name is Mark Hurst. I'll be your host for the remaining 12 and a half minutes until not Dave Mandel, but station manager Ken Friedman filling in for Dave Mandel comes on board. You've got an hour with Ken and then Bad Animals with Jim the Poet and Amanda. And then Brother Daniel Blumen with his eponymous show from 9 p.m. Eastern on to midnight. So just stay tuned is what I'm trying to tell you. Thanks again to Ben, ben Grosser for joining me for the interview and joining us live on the comment board this evening. That's really cool. I hope you, the listeners, enjoyed learning about Ben's work and hope you'll check out the links to his various projects. You know, I, I only played, what, 10 seconds of order of magnitude and deficit of less, uh, those supercuts, and you can listen to them in their full 47-minute glory <laughs> off of the links on the playlist at WFMU.org. And just to finish off the show this evening, a little surprise for everybody. Uh, for the last 10 minutes, I'm going to have a co-host here in Studio A. I'm, I'm happy to say that station manager Ken Friedman is here and, uh, and we're going to chat a little bit about the show because we were chatting during the interview about my conversation with Ben Grosser and what it all means. Ken, thanks for joining. Oh, happy to be here, Mark. It's just like a New Year's Day around here. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, Ken and I always start off the year with uh, a New Year's show for Tectonic. So one of the things that, uh, as I was talking to you about this, Ken, that I um, realized and I posted on the comment board is I realized, wait. Ben Grosser is at University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. That's where Mark Andreessen went to college. Yeah, were they classmates? Well, Ben Grosser is a professor there now. Okay. And Andreessen was there in the 90s. And Andreessen, while he was there, he was the lead developer on NCSA Mosaic, which was the first graphical web browser. Ah, I remember you, Mosaic you remember? well. What do, what do you remember about Mosaic? Well, uh, I remember what preceded it, which was Gopher Space, That's which right. was a uh, a web browser that was text-based only, no images, and 
Henry Lowengard, our web hamster. Web hamster uh, Henry, also on the comment board this evening. Took all of our print zines, LCD, and put them onto Gopher Space. And then it was a very exciting day when Mosaic came out. And suddenly uh, there was this graphic interface for the web. And uh, it was really revolutionary. We had one computer at FMU. This is when we were in a residential-style house in East Orange. On the very top floor, in almost in the attic, uh, there was one computer that could get online using Mosaic. And uh, this was before most people had seen the web. And people would come by, and I would take them up to the attic to show <laughs> them the World Wide Web on Mosaic. That's right. The, the initiation <laughs> right. And initiating them into the web... And we should say that on Gopher servers, there were images available, but you had to click on the file name, and then it would have to right. download, and then you'd have to open it locally, and it That's took true. forever. That's true. And you could also get audio on Gopher. You could but, get anything. But nothing, just... nothing appeared on your Gopher page. That's right. It was just text and links, and uh, you had to download everything. So what Andreessen and his team at UIUC did is they put it all together so that when you loaded a page, it would load the text and the images all in one go without you having to go through all those steps. And I remember the first time I saw it, I was, it, this was the summer of 93. I remember very distinctly the day uh, I was at a summer internship at a, at a company somewhere. And one of the software engineers said, there's this new thing called Mosaic. You should come see this. And it loaded up. And I, I just said, this, this is, this is mind blowing. Yeah. Is, this is incredible. Everything changes now. I just yeah, had this it was mind blowing intuitive sense that the that the if you'll excuse the phrase the the tectonic plates in in the technology world had just shifted. You know, it was a massive change, and uh, one company that did not understand that right away was Microsoft, because it, in the '90s Microsoft was the evil empire monopoly of the tech world, and when when Andreessen's Mosaic came out, uh, Microsoft didn't pay any attention. And then Andreessen joined this guy named um, uh, Jim Clark out in Silicon Valley and started a company called Netscape. And they launched their own browser based on Mosaic that was called Netscape Navigator. You remember Navigator? Oh, yeah. Netscape was the browser for about, what, three months there? <laughs> King it of the was, world. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was the browser to use, but it didn't last long at all. No, because Microsoft decided to squash it, and Microsoft came out with its own horrible web browser called Internet Explorer. Right. I have to I have to really concentrate on saying the right name because all of us used to call it Internet Exploder. It was just so bad. It was, it was terrible, buggy, and of course, of course, it became the de facto web browser, much like. Chrome, Google Chrome's malware has become the de facto web browser these days. And, but somehow Andreessen survived that professionally. The well, he must, have, he must have sold Netscape or he must have made a ton of money from yes, it. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. And so now he's one of the most powerful venture capitalists in the world and, and is so powerful that he feels uh, enabled to make these pronouncements that frankly are um, just, they're, they're funny. They're so ridiculous. As you heard the, the redaction from Ben. Yeah. Growth, growth, growth. Yeah, I love that poem. <laughs> in fact, what we're, what we're going to do here in a couple minutes is, I know I said during the interview I wasn't going to play the dramatic reading, but I, I'm going to play the dramatic reading because I heard from Ben Grosser that he liked my dramatic reading 
last fall of his redaction, and uh, that was the uh, was it the November 6, 2023 episode of Tectonic. And so I'm just the last couple minutes of the show before you come on, Ken. I'm going to play my full uh, dramatic reading of Ben Grosser's redaction. Does of, it have any background music or is it just you talking? It's just me. But I was thinking earlier this evening, it would have been nice if I could have come up with some background music. I have the it. perfect background music for it. It was what I was going to open up. It's complicated. Well, let's, let's play tonight. Oh, that would be so cool. Well, let's maybe play you should just play it naked and then I'll play it again during <laughs> It's Complicated. I like that idea. I see we're we're just we're just programming the the shows our two shows on the fly here because I realize you know all the interstitial music on Tectonic is Prague. Did, oh. Had you ever thought about that? Well, the uh, Loifa is is Prague. Yeah. Yes. Well, you're right. Yeah, it's all Prague. Kraftwerk. Yeah, you should Prague. fill you should fill in for it's complicated oh, some week. I would love that. Uh, Mandel, Mandel, if you're listening, count me in. Um, I, I can do a tectonic and then just roll into an hour of Prague and it'll just it'll be like the same show. Yeah. <laughs> just a little bit less talking on It's Complicated. Um, well, is there anything else you want to say? We're, we just I, I'm just about out of time. But any closing comments on this idea of uh, giving giving some artistic opposition to the hegemony out of Northern California? Uh, I'm all for it. It's always nice to uh, reminisce about the early uh, utopian idealistic days of the web before we had any idea oh. when uh, when it all seemed so wonderful. <laughs> we were so naive. <laughs> yes, we or, were. I, I can only speak for myself. I, I really was naive. When I, did you realize how, how, how <laughs> far south it was going? Was there one moment? Well, there were a few moments, but I think uh, in the... I'll just say the the election of 2016 was a was a was hard to miss a signal that Facebook was having much bigger effects than than I had understood before. Yeah. The idea, and not just Facebook, but just the the big tech algorithms in general, um, dividing people and bubbling up mm -hmm. really really awful stuff. Yeah, and uh, it it wasn't that long after that I came to talk to you because I thought if there's one organization that I still believe in, it's WFMU. And that was that was in the spring of uh, 2017. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that was that. I think 2016 was a real turning point yeah. for me. Yeah. Was there was there one for you? I don't think there was a moment, but it was um, at the end of uh, 2015 when I was still I had been doing the WFMU Twitter feed for about four and a half years, and it was towards the end of me doing the Twitter feed that I just started noticing. The, argu the argumentation and, and the tribalism uh, that was starting to really take over Twitter at that point. And it really, really left a bad taste in my stomach. And that was why I quit Twitter um, at that point and uh, I think passed on the uh, Twitter feed to Dave Mandel. Um, <laughs> and oh, uh, after that, I pretty much quit social media all, all around. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to close it there, Ken. Thank you for joining me for, for an ad hoc mini conversation here at the end of the show. Always a pleasure, Mark. And uh, I hope everyone will stay tuned for Ken Friedman's It's Complicated fill-in for Dave Mandel. Until next time, friends, I want you to avoid Apple, abandon Amazon, forget Facebook, and whatever you do, get off Google. And you are listening to the greatest radio station in the world, 
WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in New York City and Rockland County at 91.9 FM and online at WFMU.org. And here is my dramatic reading. Have a good week, everybody. Technology is the glory. Be techno-optimists. Grow or die. Growth is progress, but lack of growth is a kill-all. Everything good is downstream of growth. Not growing is stagnation. Growth, growth, growth is technology. Growth, growth, growth. More growth, more growth, growth, growth. More growth, more technology. We believe markets, profits, markets, wealth, market, 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 no limit, market, markets. We believe markets, markets, more, rich. We believe markets are individualistic. We believe markets regard their own self-interest, their self-love, money. Love doesn't scale, so run on money, stick with money. We believe the markets. We believe markets. We believe markets. Wealth. We believe profits. Markets. Markets exploit. Markets. Market. More. Millions or billions. Advantage. 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 Market. We believe a market infinite. We believe markets infinite. Infinite. Growth can continue forever. We believe markets are exploitative. Markets, infinite. Markets are the ultimate infinite game. Markets, growth. Markets, never ends. Spirals continuously upward. Endless, unlimited numbers. Upward spiral. Largest number, accelerating. We believe in accelerationism to ensure the fulfillment of the law of accelerating, to ensure the techno-capital upward spiral continues forever!
technology is the glory. Be technologists. Grow or die. Growth is progress, but lack of growth is a kill-all. Everything good is downstream of growth. Not growing is stagnation. Growth. Growth. Growth is technology. Growth. 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 More growth. More growth. 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 More growth. More technology. We believe markets, profits, markets, wealth, market, 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 no limit, market, markets. We believe markets, markets, more, rich. We believe markets are individualistic. We believe markets regard their own self-interest, their self-love, money. Love doesn't scale, so run on money. Stick with money. We believe the markets. We believe markets. We believe markets. Wealth. We believe profits. Markets. Markets exploit. Markets. Market. More. Millions or billions. Advantage. 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 Market. We believe a market infinite. We believe markets infinite. Infinite growth can continue forever. We believe markets are exploitative. Markets infinite. Markets are the ultimate infinite game. Markets growth. Markets never ends. Spirals continuously upward. Endless, unlimited numbers upward spiral, largest number, accelerating. We believe in accelerationism to ensure the fulfillment of the law of accelerating, to ensure the techno-capital upward spiral continues forever! Gamma, hubba dubba.